0: All right, well, I'm David.
1: 6353. David
0: uh, Jensen, this is my wife, Tara, and we are excited to be with you guys tonight.
1: Yes, uh, we have been married. We just celebrated our 23rd wedding anniversary on September 12th. I know. I know. We look too young for that. I know. I know what you're (laughs) really thinking. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, We have two kids, uh, Sam, who's 20, and Faith, who is 18. You probably have seen Sam around if you ever get coffee at the coffee shop. He works there. But um, there is a special anniversary coming up Friday that is even more special to David than our original wedding anniversary. So when
0: we got married, uh, I calculated uh, how many days Tara had lived. So she lived with her parents until she got married. So she was at home until she was 23. Um, so I calculated how many days she had been at home with her parents and then figured out at what point would we cross the threshold where she had been with me more days than she had been with her parents. Uh, The number of days was 8,413. That day happens on Friday, two days from now. So on Friday, we'll cross the threshold, and she will be officially mine.
1: I feel like I'm going to get a really good dinner out of that. Yes,
0: you are going to get a good dinner out of that. All right. So, uh, and one other side note. Today uh, is actually uh, my grandparents' 76th anniversary. Uh, They are 97 and 95 uh, he's a, and really ornery.
1: I don't know oh, how yeah. they've lasted this long, yeah, so, just being honest.
0: Anyway, so there you go. <laughs> That's enough about us. Um, so tonight, uh, as Ryan said, we're going to talk about uh, conflict resolution. And I just want to give a little disclaimer. This is not uh, conflict removal. We're not going to give you the secrets to eradicate conflict from your relationship. We're going to talk about ways to kind of acknowledge that it's there and deal with it in a healthy way. Um, Just a little bit of uh, our story so you kind of know our perspective on things. Uh, As Tara said, we've been married 23 years, and the first eight years of our marriage, we spent almost all of our energy trying to avoid conflict. So I was just trying to keep her happy, and she was just trying to get what she thought she needed out of the relationship, and those things were rarely on the same page. And so we spent eight years just trying to dodge the landmines that we were living amongst. Uh, and then at year eight, things blew up for us, and I uh, actually stepped out of the marriage for a period of about six months and pursued other women. And then we really had conflict to deal with that was unavoidable, and so God kind of forced our hand. And so we've spent, um, you know, a period of several years dealing with that and working through that. By God's grace, he has redeemed everything about that, and we live um, in a relationship now that, um, you know, we just enjoy um, like no one else, and so um, one of the things that it's helpful to recognize is, you know, conflict seems like a bad word. We want to avoid it at all cost, but if you remember that the purpose of marriage is really oneness, unity, intimacy, conflict is what drives us away from that, and so if we have a healthy view of conflict, um, I would say more a disordered view of conflict drives us away from that, so if we have a healthy view of conflict, it can really be a great way to uh, still enjoy intimacy and unity with each each other. So um, I want to start with just kind of a brief definition of conflict. Uh, Conflict is really just competing desires, beliefs, or viewpoints expressed, uh, and neither side is willing to adjust or compromise. Uh, It can be extreme, like nations going to war. It can be as mild as toddlers not wanting to share a toy In marriage, this can look like we just don't want to go to the same place to eat tonight, right? So we've all kind of experienced that on some level. Uh, But because no two people are ever going to really share the exact same perspective on a situation, when people are involved, we have to acknowledge that there is going to be some conflict at some point. Paul Um, who is, in case you aren't familiar with Paul, he's the writer of the majority of the New Testament. He even says in the book to his friends um, in the book of Colossians in chapter 3 that he wants us to bear with one another. So when he tells us that, he's assuming there's something to bear with. So there's this kind of underlying assumption that conflict is going to be present, and we've got to deal with it on some level. Uh, Most of us are not dealing with it great, and so hopefully this will be a little bit of help. Um, But I want you to be encouraged because there was, some, there was a few studies done about what are the major contributing factors to a happy marriage, and they found that the absence of conflict is not a direct correlation to a happy marriage, that what really indicates a happy marriage is how you deal with conflict, so if you're sitting there and you're like, man, we got conflict, our marriage stinks, that's not true, and so just because you have conflict doesn't mean you're in a bad marriage.
1: So... We know that some of you, the second you heard that we were talking on conflict resolution tonight, kind of nudged each other lovingly and said, we never fight. We don't need this. But we do want to warn you that the absence of conflict does not equal a great marriage. So don't pat yourself on the back too quickly. Um, We've been in that same boat ourselves. And some of you may have been like us where you just kind of um, spend years negotiating this unspoken You may not even know you're doing it, but it's an unspoken agreement with your spouse that, hey, uh, I won't bring this up as long as you don't bring this up and mention that. Deal? Deal. But what we're really agreeing to in that moment is not some level of peace that, you know, you don't bring up the ugly stuff, I won't bring up your ugly stuff, let's just not talk about it. We're not getting what we really think we're making the deal for. Without realizing it, we are agreeing to not know each other. So because knowing each other in that way seems like too much work to us, um, we just don't engage. And you're judging your marriage based on the absence of something, arguing in conflict, rather than the presence of something, being fully known and loved. Uh, If this is you, uh, we would like to invite you to entertain the possibility that maybe there's more enjoyment to be had in your relationship. There's no doubt that entering into conflict is a risk, and it might include some pain, but the reward of being known and loved will blow your current experience out of the water.
0: So let's talk about where conflict comes from. So you've got a handout there, got some blanks to fill in. Hopefully that's helpful for some of you. Um, What do we do, what are we bringing to the table that fuels conflict, that adds fuel to that flame, in our relationships. I'm gonna read a couple of verses from the book of James, chapter four, uh, verses one through three. And James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions." So what James is telling us there, Uh, just to sum that up, is the things that are in you, the attitudes, the mentality, the thoughts that you have, that's what's causing the war between you and other people. Fights and quarrels, they come from within you. Um, It's not from something that comes outside of us. Um, And so I'm going to give you five ways that we fuel conflict in our relationships. So the first one, uh, the blank there, is ignoring pride. So Proverbs 13.10 says, pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Uh, Pride is one of those things we kind of all know, I don't want to be known as a proud person. It's really easy to spot in somebody else, really difficult to spot in ourselves. Um, And so I just want to give a couple of helpful tips uh, to be able to spot pride. Um, Be wary of being too certain. So if you feel really confident, this is my view, I know this is right, just you want to hold that loosely. we don't always have the full picture. We rarely have the full picture. So, anytime you feel super confident on something, you just want to hold that loosely. Now, uh, the next thing is just be cautious if you feel superior to your spouse in any way. Like, you may be judging your spouse. Well, I do this really well, and they don't. And so, just waiting for them to catch up to where you are. Um, Tara has a little bit of experience with that. Yes, so thank you for, you like for having share? me share on Pride. Yep.
1: And just, thank you. I don't have
0: a lot of experience, so I'm just going to let her share. Real okay. Quick. I'm just yeah. kidding.
1: Um, No, but I do have a good story for pride because unfortunately that is like a go-to for me in a lot of ways. Um, But in our relationship, it took me a really long time to forgive David for the things that he had done during that six months he told you he stepped out of the marriage. And I found that the reason that I couldn't forgive him was not because he was unforgivable, but because I was unwilling. I was so sure that I was better than him You heard me. I was so sure that I was better than him. He wasn't really deserving of my forgiveness. Yikes. Talk about haughty, full of self, sure of self. And pride got in the way of resolving the conflict between us for many months. And so that's just something that happened in our marriage where pride showed itself. And I never would have in years previous said that I was a proud person because I was blind to it until I got called to the mat in the area of forgiveness.
0: So one last tip just to help you spot pride. Uh, Be careful if you see yourself as anything other than a sinner saved by grace. So if you're bringing anything, if you feel like your abilities and what you're bringing to the table makes a difference, you just want to hold that again, hold that loosely. Um, There could be a root of pride there. Uh, So number two, thinking of self. So this might sound a little bit similar to pride, but this is really specifically thinking about or focusing on when you try to avoid conversations to just avoid a difficult situation, to feed your own comfort, um, you just kind of don't give the effort you need to really deal with the issue because uh, I want to watch the game or I want to do whatever. Um, I don't want to spend the time and the energy that's needed to have this conversation right now. If you resign yourself, resign your side of the disagreement too quickly just to get, in my case, get her to shut up, I just didn't want to have those conversations. She has a lot more words and wants to express them a lot more than I do, and I want to sit on the couch and enjoy a peaceful night. And so when we're in the middle of a conflict, that's not always helpful. So I would really, this was kind of my go-to, I would really just avoid that stuff and, and not really um, give our conversations the need uh, or the energy that it needed. That's really just selfishness, and the underlying conflict will not be dealt with in these instances. It's just kind of kicking the can down the trail a little bit further, uh, and it's going to roll over to the next time you have a disagreement. It's just going to keep building momentum until you actually deal with it. Uh, So you just got to resist that urge to to bow out because you don't want to deal with it. Um, And in those cases, you really reveal that you don't care enough about um, the other to deal with the things that need to be dealt with. Uh, so the next one the third point how we fuel conflict is seeking to be right not loving terry and i both have done this we have very different personalities if you couldn't pick up on that and we rarely see the same situation the same way even though we want the same end result we love each other to death we never go about solving a problem the same way um and so we are to be honest with you we still struggle with that in our relationship now so she'll say one thing i'll hear something else and we've got to deal with that um and so uh for a while that looked like each one of us trying to subdue the other one and i'm right and no i'm right neither one of us were being loving in that we're just trying to you know put our lawyer caps on and argue the other one in the corner get those airtight arguments lined up so that they didn't have a rebuttal and that was kind of our mentality and in that case obviously we're not resolving anything in that case we're just whoever was loudest in the moment wins the argument. So that's seeking to be right rather than loving. Uh, and so uh, when conflict happens, um, we, when we're focused on being right, we are not focusing on understanding the other's point of view. So there's a famous quote, I'm sure you've heard it by Stephen Covey, it says, seek first to understand and then to be understood. So we have to change our mindset on what our, what our priority is in those engagements.
1: So the fourth one is making assumptions. And what I really think about when I think of assuming is that it's proud. And the opposite of it would be to ask questions, which is a humble move. Uh, Immediately when you assume something about someone, we're putting them on the defensive. And so you've already engaged a fight when you need to be having a conversation. Uh, So an example of this in our marriage um, is like, I'm pretty extroverted, and my emotions are always outside of myself, like on a regular basis. And so David popped his head into my office one day just to ask me a quick question, but I had just read an email that was kind of frustrating me, and my immediate response to him was, what? Just this frustrated, annoyed, why are you here breathing in my direction Uh, response to him. I'm sure none of you respond to each other that way, but we do that from time to time. Uh, In that moment, David had an opportunity. He could have assumed, what's her problem? Yeah. And then walked away without ever talking to me about it and just milled around the house in his, (sighs) (sighs) right? Not that any of you would ever do that, but that's what he could have chosen. But instead, he chose to ask a question. And in that moment, it drew him into me instead of drawing us away from each other. So he just simply looked at me and said, hey, are you okay? What's going on? And it enabled me to tell him, hey, no, I'm not okay. I'm frustrated about this email. I don't know how to respond to this. I've told this person six times. I don't know what to do now. They just don't understand what I'm trying to say. And he could enter into that moment with me, help me, talk me through it, say, hey, why don't you try this? We became a team in that moment where... Assuming is a solo activity, we would have been separated in that. He would have been fuming and I would have been in my office still frustrated. Asking questions enabled us to come together and come to a solution together as a team and partner. And that's what marriage is supposed to be. Uh, We want to encourage you. There's an additional resource. uh, John and Pam McGee teach on communication that you want to look for online. That can also be really helpful in helping you communicate well with each other in moments like that of frustration. And then the last one is excusing fear. So we all have desires, and in our mind, these become needs. So not just something I want or would be nice to have, but now I'm turning this into I got to have this. And in that mindset, we begin to make decisions to go after what we think we need. And so he talked about in the first eight years of our marriage that he was just going along to get along, and I was just going after what I wanted. I wanted him to meet my needs, I wanted him to make me happy. Side note, all things he is not capable of doing, but I wanted that, and I was going after it without leaning on Christ. So we make decisions to go after what we need in conflict and relationship with each other instead of trusting God to provide for us. That's what we do. So we operate out of fear of the unknown rather than faith in God. And we think that we know what we need and what is best for us. And we avoid reading God's word and learning from him what he says is best and leaning on him to provide the things that he has placed in our heart as a desire or to correct our desires. So we excuse fear and conflict when we do that.
0: So we're looking out for you. We try to make it easy to remember the five fuels. If you look at the first letter, what fuels conflict? It's me. It spells it's me if you look at the first letter and all those things. So we're all bringing our own junk to the table there and that.
1: All right. So we want to figure out how to resolve conflict. We know that we are the reason, according to James, uh, we know that we are the reason that, that we have conflict. It's the war within ourselves. So how do we resolve it? Well, first, we want to encourage you to look inward. Uh, Conflict can serve as the warning signal on the dashboard of your relationship. It lets you know when something is wrong. So we want you to know that in that moment, it's important to realize that marriage doesn't change us. It reveals us. So while you think, hey, I married one person, this ain't the same person. That's not true. Marriage pressed on areas inside of both of us, and it is revealing the truth of who we really are. We have to work through those conflicts together, but it's a warning signal for us. Uh, Matthew 7 encourages us to address our own fault, and so you need to stop and ask yourself, is there something in this that I need to change? Um, I mean, just to be honest with you, I'm pretty snarky in conflict, so I'll just get, like, sassy, and that's not helpful. I may find it energetic or funny or whatever, but it's not helpful. So is there something I need to change? I need to change that. I need to be present in the conflict and not antagonistic in the hopes that I'll get him mad enough that he'll yell and he'll be worse off in that whole thing than me. It's not loving, but we need to look at ourselves first and figure out those things. Conflict is an opportunity to understand your own heart and your spouse's heart. There are a lot of feelings that are driving the energy of conflicts. We need to explore them and not ignore
0: them. So the next thing in helping to resolve or deal with conflict is to look upward. Uh, Tara mentioned the dashboard, um, the warning signal on the dashboard. So we know we really can't fix everything with our cars. We have to take it to a mechanic sometimes. And God really shows us, um, God is the mechanic in this case. He shows us what's under the hood and what needs to be dealt with. Uh, I'm gonna read another section uh, from the book of James. This is just before the section that I read earlier. This is the end of chapter three. Uh, it says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and, and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so we see kind of these two different sides, the earthly wisdom and godly wisdom, the wisdom from above. Um, And obviously, if you look at the list there and what the fruits are of each of those lists, what the result is, uh, we want what God says. We want the wisdom from above. So we need God's wisdom to replace our own because earthly wisdom brings jealousy, selfish ambition, disordered desires, and evil of every kind. But God's wisdom brings peace, gentleness, reasonableness, mercy, uh, the fruit of good deeds, impartiality, and sincerity. God's wisdom produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Uh, And quick side note, you may be sitting there and think, well, that's great, but how do I get God's wisdom? Uh, If you don't know God, if you don't know Jesus, That's the first step, is having a relationship with him. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're sitting there and you don't really know what a relationship with Jesus is like, what that might look like in your life, I really encourage you to talk to your group leader tonight, whether you're an open group, uh, a closed group, or even in newcomers tonight. Raise a hand, speak up, and just ask some questions about what that might look like for you, because uh, if you're not in that place, um, that's really the first step to being able to deal deal with this uh, effectively. Um, because to get the results that God promises in that list there, we have to follow the plan that he prescribes. We can't really do this on our own. We can't figure this out on our own, so we have to follow his plan. Um, And that may look like, you know, spending time in the word. That may look like spending time in prayer. It may look like uh, reviewing the re-engage lesson again, right? There's a lot of steps that you can do, Um, in order to really absorb and try to ingest God's wisdom uh, where you can. Um, One thing to just remember is, as skilled as you feel like you may be, all the skills in the world cannot change a heart. Jesus is the only one who can change a heart, and so we need him and the Spirit in order to help have a a changed heart. Uh, So any attempt that we try to make has got to begin with him and with prayer. Ezekiel Chapter 36, verse 26, tells us that God will give us a new heart if we come to him, that he'll replace our heart of stone with a a heart of flesh that responds to him. Uh, And then the third blank there is just to look outward. Um, Resolving conflict is a process. It won't happen overnight, and we're going to need support in that process. We cannot do this on our own.
1: Yeah, so James 5.16 tells us to confess our faults to each other so that we may be healed. So what does that really look like? I mean, we're not created to do life alone. And sometimes we can even think in our marriage, okay, well, yeah, we're talking to each other, so that's enough. But this is a oneness relationship. We need other people to help us talk into, speak into that. Um, We can honestly help each other and enable each other in a lot of ways that somebody outside of us can look at and say, hey, are you all aware you all agreed on that dance and that that's not healthy for you? Um, so it's good to have people speak into your, to your conflicts and help you with those. Take advantage of the opportunity that you have in this current season to be surrounded by others. I don't know what community looks like in your normal life, but if you're here in this room right now, you are in some sort of re group, and these people are here for you. You have leaders and other couples in the group that are probably in the same place you are, at different levels, and y'all can help each other grow through this. So confess to your group and allow them to offer you prayer and support.
0: So you've filled out your handout. Those are all the blanks we have for you. Uh, we hope this has been helpful just to help, you know, frame up a different way of viewing conflict. Uh, maybe is not something to be avoided, but as an opportunity to know and be known by your spouse and move toward oneness in your marriage rather than something to be avoided that's causing divisiveness and uh, separating you guys. So thank you guys for letting us share.